welcome to episode 34 of Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. I'm your host, Trey Whetstone, coming here from around Columbus, Ohio. And today's episode is going to be something a little different. I have a guest on here. And this was something we kind of threw back and forth and really just trying to get to talk to each other here and just kind of BS about some topics. But welcoming in Greg Bazelli from Monsters in the Mosh Pit. How are you doing tonight, Greg? Uh, horns up, man. I am great. How are you, Mr. Trey? I'm doing good. Listeners might recognize Greg from the Giallo episode where he and his co-host Dave did a little call in for that. Also, if you haven't checked out the show, I'm going to plug it right now. We can plug it again at the end and get into it in detail, but definitely go over and check that one out because Greg and the boys do a good job over there. But Thank you. Oh, no problem. This episode we were kind of talking about just going back and forth on some maybe recent events in horror, how we feel like the horror community or horror movies are the direction they're going in and just kind of talking about picking a few topics and just going back and forth and talking about them. I'm really excited to get into this. So I know you are too, Greg. So you want to start off? Let's uh, let's see what we got and just kind of kick this thing off. Yeah. I'm just to piggyback on what you were saying. I think the, the whole conversation kind of steered or came up from the fact that we've both been seeing things happen, right? We've both been, been kind of, we're both present on the social media for the most part. We both kind of see things happening on a daily basis. And while we both are huge fans of horror and heavy metal for me specifically, and that, you know, that's what my show is, but in this case, horror, there's a big divisive, I don't want to say action, but it seems like there's a big div- divided stance among fans currently. And also a different approach to how we interact with our horror and how we rate our horror. And I think that's where a lot of this all came from. But I think I, I may, maybe maybe or maybe not have rent, went on a rant uh, on Twitter one day, <laughs> <laughs> which is very possible with me. I kind of speak my mind usually. But uh, yeah, just to piggyback off of you, I think that's kind of where we were at. So I think, do you want to start off with maybe the state the state of horror fandom at the moment kind yeah. of yeah and uh, i appreciate you getting more into that because you know my brain's a little fried here i didn't <laughs> i didn't know where i was going with that so yeah that's a that's absolutely where this kind of started is um your ramp but yeah let's get into that what have you uh what have you been seeing greg give me what your thoughts are on this. i think the biggest thing i've been seeing is obviously the division and while division is not a problem per se it's the actions that seem to be taken by both sides of of the divide, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have like one group of people that want to love and talk about 80s schlock and um, <laughs> slashers and how they're the only thing that ever mattered in horror. And then I have some people talking about how horror will never be taken serious unless we take movies like that come from A24 with the highest regard and utmost respect. And to me, I can watch bad taste or brain damage or uh, what else, you know, toxic Avenger and then turn around the same evening, watch hereditary or something in the dirt. Okay. It's (laughs) to me, there's no difference. It's an experience. One of them is an experience, a little bit different experience. My, one of my favorite movies is Shaun of the dead. One of my other favorite movies is rear window. You want to talk about two very different movies. And the approach to them, and it's, I'm okay. but both very smart still. But yes, 
in different ways. I, I, yep. you know, Edgar Wright and Alfred Hitchcock definitely both had an eye for satirical elements in cinema and a way to shoot a movie for sure. But the the overall scope of them is very different. And it's just weird that I keep seeing this division among fans. And again, I'm okay with division. I'm not okay with the way you act towards someone that has a different opinion. I guess that's where I'm at. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. And I think you're right. I think it's fair to say both of us are kind of in the middle where we're going to like and give most things a chance. I mean, there's some things where I'm like, okay, I gave you a chance once. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to go back to you, but I think we're both pretty open-minded yeah. on the movies we watch. And I don't think either one of us tries to say, well, you know, this is, and this isn't horror, like take a hard line stance. I think it's pretty much open. I mean, when I'm putting together my horror list versus my non-horror list, there's a reason why my horror list has twice as many movies. It's because I'm so generous with whatever I call a horror movie. I just, but yeah, it's like, I feel like we've got on this and there is that on this one side. And I think a lot of that was brought out this year when there were things like uh terrifier two or something like the sadness. Mm. And those two are on a very one end of the spectrum. And those two aren't necessarily the same movie. You know what I'm saying? They just are both much gorier right. films. The, the like sadness that. being one of my favorite films of last year. And Terrifier 2, I gave a 7. So, Yeah, I'm the same with Terrifier 2. Now, the sadness, I think I bumped the sadness from my top 25 list just because I tried to like take that 25 slot for um, something a little less yeah, known. You heard, you but that was I definitely it, right You heard there. I said it was my number one. You were like, I can't have this on the list. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the sadness. I really do. I think it was a great year for like international it horror was, and things. Big time. But... But you have that, and then you have on the other end of the spectrum, like, I feel like a, we did an episode on Nope. I feel like over on Monsters in the Moshpit, I feel like there was a big divide about Nope. Like, you either gave it a 9 or you gave it, like, a 6.5. And I don't even think Nope is, like, the kind of thing you're talking about with the A24 artsy stuff. I mean, Jordan Peele was much more artistic director, but I feel like that's a very watchable film and a very fun film. But... I think we're getting, I'm getting you off track here a little bit, Craig. But. No, no, you're really not. The thing with Nope was, is I, this falls into that category, like you said, about how you, your list of horror movies is longer than, than some others, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that becomes down to, because you see things that are genre mm -hmm. as horror, whereas, like, I struggled a little bit making my list this year, or this past year for 2022, with movies like Prey, movies like Nope. And trying to decide whether or not they were true horror in the list that I was making, is it going to be a horror list or a genre list? The thing is, my list was full of bangers, regardless. <laughs> it and was. So whether or not it was, I considered it a true horror, or whether or not I considered it a genre film, they were all bangers. And I tend to be higher on my rating scale because I see a lot of what goes into it, and I see a lot of what the production side of it all that kind of stuff and the same goes for music i'm huge on like i'm way higher on my music scale than i am on my movie scale because to me i think music is a little bit more of a personal thing when you're making it oh yeah a movie, movie takes a lot more people blah 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 that's off topic uh but yes i do agree with you with nope that that was a very divisive film we had multiple divisive films last year you had nope you had halloween you had Scream. 
I'm trying to think Texas Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw, yeah. yeah. So, like, all these films, and I think this gets into my second point, which is pretentious critics, okay? Or people that fancy themselves to be part of this community and part of, and when I say community, I'm going to say, we'll just say, no, I don't want to say internet, brand. Let's go with brand, okay? Yeah. This, this, these critics that have their own brand, we'll put yeah. it that way, okay? And your job as a critic is to give your opinion, which mm-hmm. is fine. We understand that. What your job is not to do is give your opinion to the point where you're trying to sway other people not to watch something, in my opinion, in my opinion, okay? So your job to me is to go out and tell about how the film was made. Uh, how the acting was, how the story was, uh, what the cinematography looked like. If you don't like it, that's cool. But a movie I did not like last year was Allegoria. Okay. I wanted to like it. Spider One was the director. That's Rob Zombie's little brother. I'm a huge Rob Zombie fan. So I wanted to like it. However, I didn't. The one thing I didn't do was tell everybody not to watch it. What I did do was say, this wasn't for me. I thought the first act and the last act were very strong. However, the rest of it was not for me. However, you should watch it to make your own assumption, make your own judgment. I'm not saying I'm the best critic in the world because I'm not. Okay. What I'm saying is there's a lot of pretentiousness out there and demeaning of people that like something. I said, I love 80 schlock. That's my thing. I wear a bad taste shirt all the time. It's my thing. I love it. However, if you tell me that you think it's a bad movie, we're going to have a discussion as to why you think so. And I'm not going to allow you to be pretentious and demeaning to me for liking it. Well, you're not allowed to just like throw something out unless you have a reason behind it, right? That should be the general, it used to be the general rule. If you don't have anything to back it up, why are you arguing? And I got it. I want to address this first. Then I want to circle back on a couple of other things that you've uh, talked about, Greg. But first of all, on the critic thing, it does get a little bit ridiculous. And you see it all the time. There are critics, and there are also just people on Twitter who are just as, um, what's the, what's the word guilty. I'm looking for? They just spew, yeah, they just spew vitriol all the time. Uh, out, outspoken, I usually say. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, why why aren't you allowed to like what you like? I feel like that's one of the things. The internet is great. I mean, it's brought us together to do this podcast. Exactly. And it's brought about podcasting in general. But sometimes I think we forget, like, everyone doesn't have to like what you like, and you don't have to like what everyone else likes. And I've tried to do a couple of episodes on this short bonus episodes over the past year or so, where I've seen an article of someone writing about something, and I'm just like, ah, I, do you have to go this detail? Do you have to put in this entire article about why you think a movie's bad or why you think a certain why you think elevated horror has ruined or saved you know horror oh yeah you did, you did that elevated horror episode a while back that yeah i remember that yeah that's well every once in a while i just come across something interesting where it's like i don't i don't see where you're coming from or i don't see where your point and i just need to talk about it and i want to say a couple things it goes on the other side because I just saw something this week on Twitter where someone was putting basically like their bottom 20 films on Letterboxd and they gave Midsommar a half star. Okay. 
Now I don't care. I don't care how you like, unless you're like a parody account or like, cause I do know some parody accounts that just jokingly give like great movies, one stars or whatever. But how can you sit there? Even if you hate it, my point is, is I have a hard, and I'm a generous grader like yourself. Yeah. How can I sit there and watch some of these terrible movies that were made for, you know, $10,000 and then put that up against Midsommar and say, no, Midsommar is definitely a half star. Like there's a certain floor, right? Like even if I hated it, you know, there are movies that I hate or don't didn't like the first time I watched them. I'm not going to usually give it below a four really. And you've got to do something really bad to get below a four for me. And I just don't understand where that's coming from. I mean, a movie I, I, you'll hear me spew hate towards, but I'm not spewing toward hate towards the people that like it. If you listen to my shows on or just actually usually every week it comes up at least once and that's maximum overdrive. Okay. <laughs> well, I, that's, personally don't like that i personally don't like that movie okay and for some reason when i was like 12 years old i kept seeing the green goblin's face it bugged me i didn't like it anyway (laughs) but you know it's a cocaine fueled mess but for some people they love it and everybody's worst movie that they think is the worst movie ever is someone else's favorite for every midsummer somewhere there's a street trash and you know what i love them both equally so (laughs) yeah no that's a good point but it's like you're just saying with the critic thing, circling back to that, like when does it become your crusade to make sure people don't watch this? I follow people on Twitter. There's this one guy I'm following on Twitter, man. He has, but he's on a crusade about Halloween ends. He's just like tearing down Halloween ends. And I'm like, at some point you got to let it go. Right. I mean, I don't, I liked Halloween ends. I don't think it's like a great movie. I don't think it's a bad movie, but that conversation carried on. I feel like through best of the year conversations there were the better part of two or three months there were still people popping up and and again i'm not saying anything bad if you don't like the movie you hate the movie that's your job or not your job i mean we're not getting paid to do this but that's your that's how you're setting out to do this if you're doing film criticism you got to say what you like and don't like and that's absolutely fine the only problem i have with it is when you start attacking like you said the people who like those films well, I saw someone talk, talking about Halloween ends. I saw someone say, I will never listen to their show again because they gave Halloween ends a positive review. I, I saw like, similar are, stuff. Are you serious? <laughs> what makes you, for one, good on you. Okay, bye. Don't let the door hit you on the right. way out. However, I value every single one of my listeners. I value every single one of your listeners. I am not you know, St. Paul or anything like that. However, I am welcoming when it comes to anybody that has an opinion. But to me, that's not an opinion. You're being brash and you're being obnoxious when you say something like, I can't listen to them anymore. They gave Halloween ends a good review and that's ridiculous. (laughs) Like, come on, man. Yeah, you're going to get that. And I'm I'm with you. I don't want to see any listeners get you know you get worried kind of if you put out an episode where you're defending something or yeah uh, this people don't like but at the end of the day you just gotta give your own opinion i mean i've been caught in this too greg we talked about texas chainsaw massacre i definitely got up into that like back and forth i wasn't spewing <laughs> hated anyone in particular but i'm like i don't know i feel like with certain things like that i'm sure you've probably felt this way about movies where i don't know what your take is on that movie for me, I just, and I don't know what it is because I watch movies with bad characters all the time and love them. 
But I just watched that movie and I was like, I can't stand these characters. And then I hear um, our friends over at uh, Jay of the Dead's new horror movies talking about, you know, how they loved it. And they were giving it nines and 9.5s. And I'm like, what the (laughs) what are you and how the characters were good. And I think that fuels you sometimes. Right. You're like, oh, no, they didn't say that. Right. But it's healthy to have that back and forth in those arguments. It's not healthy to just say, I'm never talking to you again. I'm blocking you on Twitter because your opinion on a film. Like yeah, there's more important it, things out there. It just makes no sense to me. Like how we can still live in a day and an age where like someone that has an opinion different than yours, you know, e- equals hatred. Yeah. Like why is that still a thing? Like we, it's, it's 2023 people. If you didn't like Texas Chainsaw, you don't have to watch it again. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Like there is a million streaming movies out there, you know, a, Trey, I'm sure you actually, I know for a fact you have a collection like I do. You can see my collection in the corner right there. Yep. And I can go pick anything off of that shelf. If, you know, it's just, I I just don't get it in this day and age. Why someone with a different opinion would have a hatred for someone else because of that opinion. Why do you let it ruin your life? Like you said, you're never going to, there's so much stuff now. And I want to kind of, kind of do a segue here into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, yeah, yeah, but I feel like it's such a great time for horror because you have so many. I'm watching a hundred horror movies a year, or you know, as I'm classifying as horror movies, right. but I'm still watching like 150 new releases a year total, and that's pretty. I mean, can you think of that? I mean, like the 80s were great. 70s 60 all that stuff it's great but we didn't have the just wide swath of content so greg and i'm i'm with you i mean i love 80s horror i love 70s horror i love all that stuff but sometimes and i don't know if you've seen this yourself and i don't see it as much like within our circles like where we're we're hanging out and we're um talking on social media and all that but i've seen people before where it's like all they do is watch 80s horror and they don't have any interest in watching anything else or they all they would do was watch older horror movies and they watch the same movies over and over that's certainly approach you do what you want but for me i feel like i don't know how you feel about this topic but i feel like there's just so many movies out there and such a wide variety of movies out there that i don't want to limit myself to just one thing i'm actually trying to this year branch out more watch less horror and watch more of just like these movies that because pretty much, you know, we've been around for a while. We pretty much watched all the quote unquote classic horror movies. I mean, there's probably yeah. not very many, you know, guilty spots left on your your horror watch list. But there are tons of non-horror movies. There are tons of war films, action films, comedy, sci-fi films, whatever. Classics that I've never watched. And I'm trying to make a better effort of that. But what do you think about like putting yourself in an this is kind of what I was thinking on the division of fans, because there are some people that do that where they're just like, Hey, if it's not an older movie, it's not as good. It's just not as good. So first of all, what is your thought on that in particular, like siloing yourself to, Hey, this stuff is good. It's never going to be as good as this. Oh man, this is going to sound, I don't want this to sound mean, but to me, it almost feels like that 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 may be a person that's more closed-minded and not as open to change Mm -hmm. and and that's okay because every person has their own personal thing i have my own comfort movies that i'm sure are different from your comfort movies right yep 
However, comfort movies became a comfort movie because you watched it for the first time. And one of my new comfort movies that I didn't know was going to be a comfort movie was Psycho Goreman from 2020. I had no idea that was going to become a comfort movie when I first saw it. I turned it on. I was like, what in the Power Rangers meets uh, Steven, uh, or not Steven, but uh, meets Peter Jackson in the early 90s am I watching? And now I watch it like once a month. Okay. <laughs> I never would have known that if it wasn't for the fact that I turned it on and I watched it. And with the advent of streaming and services like Shutter, like Screenbox, there's really no excuse anymore to not watch something new because they're putting it out. Tubi even puts out Tubi exclusives now. Uh, Hulu. Hulu had a great lineup last year of new movies. Uh, Absolutely. Including non-genre movies like The Princess, which was a non-genre movie. Um, so there's different things like that. So for me, it's and like I said, I don't want it to sound mean, but those are people that are closed-minded and not as open to change. So it's... I just, I wish more people, like for me, a closed or a, uh, would you say a guilty marker, a guiltiness? Yeah, I was trying to think of the word. I I know there's a. Like a a missing part of my, the movie back catalog would be Westerns. Okay. Yeah. And uh, one of our uh, good friends, Dave Becker is huge into Westerns. So I love when he posts something about it and I get to learn a little more from his blog about different Westerns because that's something I never watched. And I love Italian films. So spaghetti westerns seem right up my alley, but you know, guiltily, I've never watched it. <laughs> yeah, um, so westerns are something that I grew up with a little bit, at least um, with my grandpa, because he was really he would always have a western on when we were over there. So I got a little bit into that, but I just got into spaghetti westerns recently, maybe last year, or I think it was last year. I'd watched a couple. I'd watched uh, Django and I did finally get to the dollars trilogy with Clint Eastwood because I hadn't seen those before. Had you seen those, Greg? I, I know the score. Yeah. So that's definitely something where it's just like if you open up your mind and like open up yourself to that, like there's so much stuff out there. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, no, I think you did. I think you did because I and you can disagree with me here but i think honestly we're in a pretty good time for horror maybe the best just because of the variety you have now and i'm not trying to before you know brian scott gets up in arms i'm not trying to like diss the 80s i'm not trying to put down the (laughs) 80s or anything because i do like some of my favorite horror movies are from that time period i'm just saying i think with the variety we get today and we get some really good movies too i think we're getting some of the best sometimes i hesitate to put, you know, when I'm doing these lists or something and I'm like, well, would I put anything from this decade or the past couple of decades on a top 20 horror list? And I think the answer has to be yes. Now, sometimes I'm hesitant because I'm like, well, that's not a classic. Well, maybe it is. We just don't know it yet. Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, there's two I can think of in there from the same same director. Maybe maybe even three, four I can think of four, and they're from two directors, like off the top of my head. So, what you got? What you got? Pitch well, them out I, there, I, right? I would, I would think, you know, Hereditary, Midsommar, mm-hmm. absolutely, and I would think Get Out and Us. Yeah, like I really, while I really liked Nope. 
I, I don't think it's as good as the other two. And honestly, I'm, a, I'm more of an Us fan than a Get Out fan, but that's just because of my love of 80s horror. So, uh, I mean, I love 80s horror so much, I backed the In Search of Darkness series. Oh, okay? yeah. So, and that's just, that's a six-hour documentary. There's three of them on 80s horror. That's literally all it is. So, it, you can still like your what you like and be open-minded enough to go out and seek I love going to the theater anytime there's a horror movie out. Whether it's like I saw Megan in the theater already this year. You know, I've seen Infinity Pool in the theater already this year. It's just a fun experience for me. And it's while we do have the the love of streaming that I do give to streaming because it's definitely changed the game. There's nothing like going to a movie in the theater, watching it on the big screen, listening to it in that best quality sound that you can get. And eating the you know the buttered popcorn. Absolutely, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the fat guy in me. No, you know my friends used to always uh, judge me because anytime we were in like high school or something, I'd have to get popcorn. When we were going to the theaters and like, what are you doing, man? Every time. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> during partially, COVID, I still I still would go to the theater during COVID and get the popcorn and come home and watch a new release. <laughs> so That's that's awesome. Yeah, we were lucky enough here that the theaters were i think they reopened in august here of that year it was like you'd go and there'd be no one there obviously so i saw so much i saw i saw peninsula which is the sequel to train to Passan. i saw um possessor there speaking of infinity pool i saw what else did i see i think was freaky 2020 or was that 2021 uh i think it was I can't remember. If it was, I can't, no, I think it was 2020. Okay, yeah, I can't. I can't remember. But I saw. The point is, I saw all these movies yeah. at the end when no one was going to them, and I would. Oh, what is the Moorhead and Benson one that came out before uh, something in the dirt? I can see that, and I can't. Can't tell oh, you. Oh, now I got. Now I got to look it up. But, but I remember seeing that one too. So it was cool seeing all these little indie films coming out around that time and you just go to a theater pretty much had it to yourself you just sit there with your popcorn and just enjoy it man there's nothing quite like going to the movies i feel like oh yeah for sure like i said i just just the atmosphere alone sitting in the middle of the theater by myself i forgot dustin went with me to see infinity pool oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) I, i made a comment and he was like yeah, you know, and he gave a spoiler to Infinity Pool. And I'm like, do you think, I think you're talking about Synchronic, by the way. Uh, Synchronic, yes, that's what it is. Yep. But I was like, I was like, oh, you've seen Infinity Pool? He was like, I was right next to you, like, <laughs> the entire movie. Like, I was like, oh, man. I said, I'm just so used to going to the movies by myself that it's like. Yeah, no, I, I've gone by myself for a long time as well. And I don't get to go as much anymore, but I try to make it out whenever I can because it's just a. It's just a fun experience, but, but you know, to back to your point though, those people that are stuck in the eighties, unless you get a re-release, like I was lucky enough to see Dawn of the Dead in 3D uh, a couple months ago, but unless you get a re-release, you're not going to see that at the movie theater. So you're missing that entire experience of going, sitting in there and Joe Dante will tell you to your face that if you're watching a movie at home by yourself, that you're not getting the true experience because the true experience is going to the theater and watching it with people because that's the way it was made, especially 80s horror. So, 
and we still have that a little bit with things like um, Avatar 2 that came out where you pretty much have to see that in the theater or you're not going to get the same effect as you would yeah. seeing it at top, home. Top Gun. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And it's cool that those movies seem to run a little bit longer because a lot of what's been a lot recently with these horror movies, they only get, and I've talked about this before, sometimes they're only in there for a few weeks. And then I saw Infinity Pool was already on streaming. So, which I think, yeah, it just can't, they dropped it on streaming, which I think is cool. I like having the option. I like having the option of, you know, it's going to play at a theater for a month and then maybe you get access to VOD. Maybe not tell anybody about it. Cause I think that's what infinity pool did. They just dropped it. Yeah. I'm trying I to think. Know. Yeah. I'm trying to think with, I think it's Blumhouse or universal because they did it with black phone. I feel like there's goals they've set where if it like, it meets a certain goal or if it doesn't meet a certain goal, they're going to drop it onto VOD or something like that, which I think is fine. I, I don't know. Well, and you've kind of given your opinion on same day streaming as well and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm all for the theaters. I don't want the theaters to go away anywhere. I think sometimes it's convenient to have a movie there day one. There are certain movies, right, Greg, that you're going to see in a theater and there are certain movies that you're okay with seeing day one at home. Yep. Yep. Like you don't want to see Dune or Godzilla versus Kong at home necessarily, but you might be okay seeing a smaller, you might be okay seeing Infinity Pool at home compared to those ones, but. Yeah, I think like for example, like movies, horror movies coming out this year that I can think off the top of my head, like Scream, is one of those ones that I can see people being like, "Yeah, I can watch that at home." Okay, but to me, Scream and Evil Dead are going to be the two movies that I will be day one at the theater for. Just my love of the franchises, especially Evil Dead. I'm a huge Evil Dead fan, so you know I'll be there day one, right in the center with my big tub of popcorn. And I'll probably drag my wife to that one because she doesn't like it. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one, too. And I'm with you on Scream. I mean, I went and saw Scream 5 or whatever we're calling it in theaters yeah. early last year. And it was something I wasn't expecting much. It was a January horror drop. You know how those usually go. But that stayed near the top of my list for most of the year. Well, I'll tell you right now, there's two years running that... January releases were high on my list. Scream didn't quite make my top 10, but I was on two top 10 shows. You did a top 25. So like if I was doing a top 25, Scream would have been on there. Absolutely. But that's why I like doing a top 25. If I'm going to see a hundred movies, I might as well do a top 25. And I just like to shout out as many movies as I can. So yeah. And that's fair. Yeah. I feel like sometimes, and I want to bounce back because to talk about evil dead, but I feel like sometimes if you're doing, a top five or a top 10, you don't necessarily get the variety that you want to see. Cause sometimes once you get past 10, things get a little wild. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 10 through 15 and then 15 through 25 can be totally different. Oh yeah. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know where we got the top 10 at or the, how that's become like the gold standard. But yeah, I know for me this year, it was like numbers eight through like 14, were pretty much felt like the same movie to me. And I was like, I don't know what to do with these. I don't know how to rank these. Well, I was on two different top 10 episodes and two different podcasts, right? Yeah. And my top 10 changed a little bit from each podcast, even just from movies I continued to watch in between recordings. And then 
you know, I sat back and I reevaluated a couple of them. I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe this one does deserve to be up there. You know what I mean? Maybe one does. <laughs> yeah. Maybe my love of uh, abs on on you know Sebastian Stan doesn't carry the film. You know? <laughs> See, I said Sebastian I Stan. Yeah, no, I, I I thought yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said no scars guard ab talk on this episode, and I guess <laughs> so, you went around that, but I did. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. And I'm usually cramming things in until like the last minute as possible. And I feel like uh, I went early last year. I was like late December. I put my list out and then I feel like this year everyone put theirs out in late December and I was like the second week of January, second or third week of January. <laughs> but it gave me time to get in some more stuff and uh, watch some more movies. So that's always good. But I was going to talk to you. What do you think about the whole Evil Dead Rise thing? Or were you um, so that whole thing was it was supposed to come out in what October I think, yeah, and it was just going to be on HBO Max, and then they pushed it back to April, I believe, and now it's going to get a theater release too. Uh, what do you think of that? First of all, are you happy to get a delay to be able to see it in the theater? And then, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess what I want to say is like, what do you think the decisions behind that? Do you think there was any? film in particular driving that what are your thoughts i think someone got a a, 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 re, a pre-release of terrifier 2 and then saw what happened in the theater personally. <laughs> um, but uh i i am excited to see it in the theater because i've seen all of them in the theater but army of darkness now so i'm i'm really excited um my favorite remake of all time is probably um the, the Evil Dead remake from 2013. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's up there. It's definitely in my top three. I'm right not, there with you. I think it's in my top three. I'd probably put like the thing in the fly yeah. up there a little higher. But yeah, I, I mean, love I, that I, Evil I Dead remake. Fly. See, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to be the con- contrarian here. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, I don't see the, the thing as a remake. I see it as a retelling of that story because it's so different from the the, the 50s version. So the fly, uh, <laughs> I do see as a remake. You're saying anyone who did an episode and included the thing on their horror remakes episode, just, you know, full of crap. Yes, they're wrong. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's been the uh, podcast. <laughs> I respect oh, no. their decision. However, they're wrong. No, I remember going over that and uh, it was basically, he was basing it off of the, the story and not the thing. So I, I get you there. I got there's there's a fine line there, right? <laughs> you want to talk about Wait. it twenty? And now you got me off on a tangent, but you want to talk about it twenty seventeen? Is that really a remake, or is it just a? Is it just like a I, retelling I of the story, a read readaptation? To, to me, I, if it was a remake, it would be my number one. Pennywise the clown, especially Bill Skarsgård's version. Now Tim Curry's is oh man, they're one A one B. But uh, I, I'm a huge. That's one of my favorite books. Is it? Uh, we just covered the miniseries on. That's actually the last episode I just released. Yep. For Monsters in the Mosh Pit uh, until the Valentine's one comes out tonight. But yeah. So to me, though, Evil Dead in the theater is going to be mint. Like I cannot wait. Like I, I <laughs> hope it's as bloody and as crazy and over the top demonic as the as the show Ash versus Evil Dead with the with the comedy of the like maybe Evil Dead 2 added in just sparsely because I, while I loved the remake, there was no comedy. It was just straight horror, right? No, and I, I love the remake too, but you're absolutely right. It was kind of like a, a, a departure from what the series was, really. Yeah. It was serious. It was very bloody. 
it was over the top, but in a more grounded way. And I still, I love that one. I'm right there with you. I mean, that it's definitely my favorite remake of the past few decades, but I, so, and here's something, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to say anything about, I always wait until a movie comes out, give it a shot. Do you think there's any, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not leading you here, Greg. Do you think there's, are there any concerns in your mind? Cause I don't know. I don't have an opinion either way that they were going to release it straight to HBO max. Do you think, cause sometimes streaming services do that like Disney plus, especially will release something straight to their streaming service. And it's maybe not the best quality. Now it doesn't always happen. I'm not saying that. Do you have any concerns about that in your mind? I really don't. Okay. And there, there's a few, there's a few reasons why that is. And that's because you, you see movies like fresh from last year, you see movies, no Exit was another one, even though No Exit didn't get quite the popularity that, that Fresh did. Those movies had really high production values. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fresh specifically had higher than than probably most of them that were straight to vid, the straight to video back in the yep. day, now straight to streaming. But it's not like we're getting Full Moon or Trauma style straight to video here, in my opinion. You know, this is going to be um, this is a major studio that's putting this out. While the main creators are still attached to it, I don't think now if it, if none of them were attached to it and it was an indie studio, I would be like, yeah, I'm a little worried. But since it's not the it's not an indie studio, which indie studios also don't always mean this bad quality, so don't right, don't mistake right. what I'm saying. No, I'm with you, but. I just think there's too many people involved with it, too many eyes on it for it not to. I'd be more concerned that the story's going to suck than the production value, I guess is my point. Yeah, and I think to back you up, I mean, HBO Max, Warner Brothers hasn't had, they haven't been shy about bringing the axe down on properties lately. I think that was, what was that that they, was it the Batgirl movie that they completely just axed? You know what I'm talking about, Greg? Yeah, all together. Yeah, so I know they've they've been going through some restructuring on that part, but they haven't been afraid to really just cut something. So it might show you like their their confidence in it that they delayed it that long and put it out in theaters. And then the you know, Terrifier two, it started out as two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which I believe by the end of the crowdfunding and stuff ended up being closer to five hundred. I think it was like yeah. four thirty or something like that. But it made eleven million dollars in the theater. That's while it wasn't in my top 10 of last year, it still was a huge success and it spoke volumes for independent cinema and what it can do in the theater if it has a draw. That movie had a draw. Art the Clown may not be for everyone, but he is a draw. And how many times have you seen in the past 20 years that people were steering away from war because it just wasn't selling anymore? It sold last year. Yeah. So I just think that somebody somewhere knows something. And I'm hoping that it's all for the positive and they're not going to lose their shirt on it. For one, because it's one of my favorite franchises. And two, I want to see it succeed. So, right. Well, I think there's, I mean, there's a bunch of doom and gloom talk about the theaters and that whole aspect these days but i think it's proven especially last year was a big proving ground where it was like if you put something out there that's good and people like they will flock to see it big time if you put top gun maverick out there 
you know, I wasn't even I wasn't even that big of a fan of the original Top Gun, and I loved Top Gun Maverick. Same. So if you put something out there, if you build it and you build it good enough, they're gonna come, right? Oh man, is that is that a Field of Dreams reference? That is a Field of Dreams reference. Oh, you may have just become <laughs> my favorite person in the world. <laughs> I absolutely adore that movie. Absolutely, but uh, no, that, do you get what I'm saying, Greg? I think it shows that in Terrifier Two is a huge success, regardless of what you think about the movie. We haven't seen something like that, and I hate to compare it almost because I don't know what paranormal activity made but that thing was huge and was made for like yeah. a shoestring budget i think it's the same kind of buzz because you kept seeing like i remember signing up for Screenbox for a month for free because i thought you know hey this they've said this thing's going to come to Screenbox in october yeah and lo and behold it comes out on like october 30th like two days after my free trial ended <laughs> so, but it, they just kept seeing success they were like okay we're going to do a week and see how it goes, and then we'll probably put it to Screenbox. And they did well, yeah. and then it kept going and piling on and piling on. And like you said, they ended up making around $11 million on, even if that's a half a million dollar budget, I mean, that's pure profit. Yeah. So And with limited marketing. Yeah, that that, that movie did not have It was marketing. word of mouth. It was yeah, the no. horror community buzz, and that's what it relied on. It didn't care about the mainstream, because if you want to, if you're in the mainstream, you want to, and I say mainstream over and over here again, what I mean is like the general public, if you see it, you're not you're not like deep into the horror community like we are. Right. We're entrenched. We're surrounded by this kind of people. And sometimes you forget that not everyone's like that. But the general public are going to rush out to see it. Right. They might rush out to see Nope. They might rush right. out to see something even like the Black Phone. Uh, you're not really probably going to get that with Terrifier 2 if you advertise it truthfully. What you're right. going to get is diehard horror fans to come out in the theater and spend a lot of money on your project and support it and pretty much assure that you're going to get a Terrifier 3 made. I think they're already making it right now. Yeah, and they're, they're supposedly going to be four of them total is what they're and, saying. Now. And I think he's doing, I think Leon's doing a project with Sam Raimi even. So would that have happened if Terrifier 2 wasn't the box office success that it was? And it's smaller. I mean, $11 million, yes, but... I think that's still a huge success. Just, I mean, if you go based off of percentages alone, mm-hmm. the, it's a huge success. Whether or not it made, you know, $200 million, like, you know, Top Gun, it doesn't matter. The percentage of what was put into it and what they got out of it is what matters. Yeah. So, because Top Gun was probably made for what? $120 million. <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah, I think that's a great success. I'm I'm looking forward to Evil Dead. I'm hoping for the best because I I don't think there's a bad. Now I haven't watched Ash versus the Evil Dead yet. I know I have several people pushing me to try to watch that. I'm just not good at TV, Greg. Uh-huh. I <laughs> you're missing I can't out. Commit. On that. I can't commit. I I need to watch that because it's only a few seasons, right? Three. Yeah, there's yep. only three seasons, and I, I believe there were, a fourth was written, and it was dropped by at the time showtime i think is who had originally put it out because it's on netflix now ah the third one kind of uh jumps the shark a little bit and i think the fourth one was going to rein it back in so that's a little unfortunate but Mm -hmm. i'm not a fan of trailers and the trailer for uh evil dead rise is similar to what i assume the fourth season would have been okay okay so it's right where you want 
yeah, kind of back to back to the roots of of it because it got really fantastical there at the end, <laughs> and, which was fine. It was still really fun. I really enjoyed the whole experience. And you know, obviously, with Army of Darkness, they don't they don't shy away from fantastical. No, but it, you know, it's just it's it's a really good you know they're short films. I, I think I watched the the episodes. I started out watching them when I was um, working out on the treadmill. So, like, it, they're like twenty three minutes long. So, well, I didn't know they were twenty three minutes long. That changes things. I yeah, I kind of get tired of these hour long episode. I think they are. They TV might shows, be 40, but they might be forty six minutes. But I thought they were twenty three. Yeah. Well, either way, I still need to give it a chance because I do love everything else Evil Dead, and it it looks like this one might be. I don't know what your thoughts on it, but it looks like it might be closer to the twenty thirteen remake. Than maybe the Evil Dead Two or Army of Darkness, but look, look if it if it has Fetty's kind of darkness with a little bit of Sam's personality, like you will have me from Hello. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure how we got on Evil Dead. Sorry, I, you know we <laughs> rabbit hole. No, no, I knew that's how this episode was going to go. We were going to have some topics and then go around, but. I want to let's shift the conversation to something. It's a little more recent that I want to talk to you about. I feel like this comes up. You can throw a stone at a horror podcast and finally probably find an episode where they're talking about age ratings for horror movies. And (laughs) not mine. And and most likely the um, kind of denouncing the PG 13 horror movie. I want to talk about this because recently we've had a little bit of news with Megan and that is yeah. a PG 13 horror movie, which I never pay attention. I don't know about you. I don't pay attention to ratings. I'm not a 15 year old kid anymore. I'm not worried about if I can get into a movie or not. Yeah. I don't pay attention to age ratings. I didn't know Megan was rated PG 13, but it drops in the theater and I think it's a relative success. I think Megan is, I thought it was a pretty good movie. I liked it myself. I don't know I if you've seen it. it. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Actually. But did you see the news that's going around where there's supposedly this R-rated or unrated cut that's going to release on home video? I have. Yeah, I actually, I, I thought it seemed a bit tame before I realized it was PG-13. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say like, oh, as a, as a person who watches a lot of movies, because then I sound like that condescending prick that I was talking about earlier. <laughs> uh, but as a person who watches a lot of movies... You can see where like certain things could have gone a lot farther. Yeah. And they didn't. So it just makes you, it begs the question back in the eighties, how many movies I, we just finished covering my bloody Valentine, just like every other podcast in the world for Valentine's day. And that's a movie that's notorious for having what nine minutes cut out of it during a time when we had movies like maniac (laughs) at this coming out at the same time. So it's just crazy the way a studio can look at something and you know decide to start chopping, even when the MPAA maybe not maybe not do the chopping on it. You know, in a lot of cases back in the eighties it was MPAA, but in this case it was the studio. So yeah, and I want to um, trying to pull up some different things here, but I could yeah I could definitely tell what you're talking about, Greg. There's a lot of talk of do we need a PG-13 rating at all? Because we didn't have one back in the 70s, 80s. A lot of times you'd see PG stuff and you're like, wow, today that would be borderline on an R. Yeah. 
But I'm going to throw out some PG-13 horror movies for you, Greg. I had some pulled up, too. So <laughs> let's see if, you, see if your list is the same. First and foremost, The Ring. Yeah. Um, you've got The Visit. You've got, regardless of what you think of Shyamalan, you got Split. Um, you got Tremors. A Quiet Place. It, it, see, I'm going through these, and I didn't even realize some of you dragged me to hell as PG-13. Yeah. I don't even realize like that. I don't know. I mean, to me, it doesn't really make much difference. I'm going to be there to watch a movie regardless. I think I just named off a decent amount of good movies there that are PG-13. Yeah, well, I'm going to name two. One from yeah. James Wan that you've already you already said James Wan, but Insidious from 2010. That's a PG-13 film, which doesn't feel like That's pretty rough, yeah. And then um, one that may not be known by the mass public, but will probably be known by your audience, and that's The Final Girls. Yeah, that's PG-13? That's a PG-13 film that takes place in an 80s slasher. Yeah. (laughs) I I guess maybe there's not that much bad content in that. I'm thinking about it, but yeah. I don't get it. I'm looking at... Exorcism of Emily Rose, which I like a lot. Yeah, I see where you're talking about Insidious there. Yeah. I mean, to me, and in the age of we've talked about streaming, a lot of times they're not going to get ratings at all if they're coming to streaming. Yeah. You're just going to get, you just have to do your best guess. I mean, you talk about it all the time. If someone's trying to show their kids something, it's like, if you don't have an age rating to go on, what do you do? But I... I think it's become less and less relevant what the actual rating is because there's so much you can do to be scary in a PG-13 movie. I think the pressure is almost on you more to be scary in a PG-13 movie than it is an R rated. You can't do the violence and the gore to shock people. And look, I'm I'm not sitting here saying there's tons of those like teenage aimed horror movies and they have their place. You know, I can't remember what the rating was. But my first horror movie I saw in the theater was unfortunately the Prom Night remake. <laughs> so, I mean, but you get with a group of, you know, guys and girls on a Friday night, you just want to go see a movie. I mean, you'll see anything, right? Yeah. You'll go see oh, the Boogeyman yeah. or the Messengers yep. or whatever you want to see. Yeah, in the late 90s, I saw a lot of movies that I didn't think I would ever watch. <laughs> just because I was, I think I saw Titanic three times the same weekend with three different girls. That's because it was, you know, that's where you went. You went to, like, the movie theater. If you had dates, you know, where do you take them? You take them to the movie theater. So that's funny you say Titanic because I've got a... This is kind of weirder. I actually went on three dates to see Godzilla 2014. (laughs) (laughs) With three different women. At least mine was a love story, jeez. (laughs) I don't know, and I don't think I picked it any time. I don't think I picked it because I'd already seen it by myself. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I don't know how that happened, but you know the the summer of 2014 was a wild time, Greg. <laughs> but <laughs> let me see. I was already married for 10 years, man. So yeah. For me. <laughs> yeah, there is that age gap, but yeah, you I think know, we're in agreement. Much, that... I mean, no, no, no. I, I just got married really young, so yeah. <laughs> no, but I don't. I, it seems like it doesn't matter for either of us what the age rating is. We just want to get a good movie out of it. Yeah, I mean, and you know, honestly, uh, this goes back to the division part of it again. I don't understand why there's hatred for that. Now, I do understand why the studio did what they did with Megan. Okay? Yeah, I do because the dance was a mega hit on TikTok, so it, it went viral. And you know what? They were like, "Man, 
we can make bank by selling this to teenagers. Yep. It was not made for teenagers, and they ended up cutting it to make it for teenagers. To me, it's the best PG-13 horror film since The Ring as far as creating tension. But I think part of the tension that it built didn't end up paying off because they they wanted it to pay off with spectacular kills. So while I enjoyed it for what it was, and the tension was there, it's not the tension isn't as good as the rings because the ring was building the whole movie around the tension. Where Megan is building the movie around the tension and then paying off with the kill. I think you see maybe one stabbing, and that's where she does the paper cutter one. I think that's it. Other than that, it's implied damage and not actual true damage and i think the one scene that gets like the most violent i would say is the scene that's the most absolutely ridiculous to me and it involves an ear and that was a little ridiculous to me but the whole movie is ridiculous i mean come on but you know hold on you know you talked about uh dominio on your witches episode just came out right yeah 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 you said that she did a spider walk because she was a dancer yeah did you know the scene where Megan chases after the boy on all fours? That's actually the little girl that played Megan. No. Yeah. All of her, basically they used hardly any CGI for her. That little girl, uh, the dance, her chasing after that kid in all fours. That's something she came up with on her own. Dude, they I said, love can that. be creepy? And she was like, I can do this thing where I run on all fours. They're like, yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> so, yeah, so like, there's certain things that are still really cool because that's a cool scene. Now, granted, they ruin it in the trailer, but it's a really cool like scene. Like, we're like, oh, like that just happened. So, uh, sorry, it just re- you reminded me of that. Well, no, I mean that teaches you a lesson, kids. If you're out there, you know, develop a weird, creepy hobby, and you'll probably get <laughs> it worked for um the girl in Il Demonio. It worked in for the girl in Megan. I think they did a perfect job in that movie of creating like the, the uncanny Valley effect where it's like something that looks close to a human, but it's not quite human (laughs) and it's just not quite right. There's something about it. And I didn't know that, but that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But it was really cool to learn that she actually did a lot of that stunt work herself. And that it kind of adds that little bit of the extra grade to it for me. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of practical effects, obviously being a kid that grew up watching movies that I did. And uh, Savini being one of my absolute idols. You probably can see him right there at the top by the exorcist there, but you probably can't because there's a glare. But anyway, he's one of my idols. Absolutely adore him. And that's what he loved. He was a, he was a movie maker or a monster maker. He was a, ma- a magician that, you know, the practical effects just made everything better. So if you're going to be divided on something, be divided on that. Be divided on CGI versus practical. Jeez. <laughs> well, and that debate kind of has went over. I feel like that, that was a hot topic for a long time. People just saying like, all we want. Remember when um, uh, The Force Awakens come, came out and everyone was, J.J. Abrams was like out there pimping his practical effects and making yeah. all those puppets. I feel like that used to be a much bigger debate. Now we've moved on to dumber things to argue about i feel like when we should just be like enjoying what we get but i i think what i wanted to say about the pg-13 stuff with megan the the r or the cut it kind of brought me back to those days those terrible days of the um late aughts and the uh, 2010s where everything had an unrated cut where you'd get a minute and a half of 
unrated footage added to it. And I, I hated that plastered all across the DVD. I think we talked about drag me to hell about PG 13. I think the DVD that I used to have before I got the, um, scream factory one had unrated plastered across the cover. <laughs> It was just ridiculous, but they even did that for raunchy comedies back then. Yeah. Oh yeah, I yeah. I, I think I have a, a Blu-ray version of Paul, the Simon Pegg, Nick yeah, Frost, yeah, yeah. Seth Rogen movie, and it has the theatrical cut and the unrated cut. Mm-hmm. There's not much difference between the two. Yeah, these aren't the uh, Lord of the Rings special editions we're talking about here. These yeah. are just. <laughs> it was, and if you didn't grow up in the time, but I feel like that was everywhere. Oh, big, yeah, bigly. It was that was part of the marketing. It was like, we'll own the unrated cut today on DVD. And, and you know what? For a movie like My Bloody Valentine '81, that's worth it. Yeah. Okay. But in some of these other movies, it's really not in some cases. But like, you know, the My Bloody Valentine, the one streaming on HBO Max right now is the cut version. If you get the unrated version, you get about three or four minutes of, of gore added back to it. So that's so that's a weird thing too. I find you never know what kind of version you're going to get on streaming service. Cause believe it or not, I'm talking about Lord of the Rings. I just rewatched those again. I didn't realize that I had rewatched them at the beginning of 2022 and December of 2022, but those extended editions are on HBO max. Yeah. And which I own the extended editions of those and like the Hobbit trilogy. I just don't watch the Hobbit trilogy as much, Same. but they don't have the extended editions of, of the Hobbit movies, but they have the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings movies on HBO max. So what sense does that make? I think they have both versions on HBO max of Lord of the Rings. I think they have the Rings. They do. That's what I'm saying. They've got both of them. Yeah. But I'm like, why, why is it only one or the other, but it could um, be a licensing thing. it, It absolutely could be. But I think what I wanted to say on your topic, Craig, or what you were talking about was like, yeah, there are some movies where it makes all the difference. And we, are lucky to get these Blu-rays and stuff today when they add and they find all these minutes of these movies that were just lost. And sometimes it's not all about the gore. I mean, I was just covering the wicker man and I still haven't seen the final cut of the wicker man. I ended up buying it on Blu-ray after I did the episode, but they add a lot of background into the story on that one and give some like before he gets to the Island stuff. And I think that stuff's really cool when you can piece together missing pieces of a movie. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fun things you can get into with horror that you don't get with a lot of other genres. You know, what, whether it's the the community that that sticks together, or whether it's you want to find. I've been I've been diving deep into a horror themed death metal band recently by the name of VHS out of Canada. I saw you posting about that. I didn't know what you said VHS, so I had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah, it stands for. <laughs> It's like violent homicidal, uh, violent homicidal stabbings or something like that is what they actually. What, what is this like CKY? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they're a lot heavier than CKY. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I mean, that's not too hard. But it's just, you know, there's so many different things that you can get with horror that you can't get with these other genres. Like, I don't know. It's just we'll go to, to a Rob Zombie concert. And regardless yeah. of what you think of the music, he puts on a great show with oh, a absolutely. lot of horror themed stuff. Um, I've seen Rob Zombie several times and, you know, I like some of his music more than others, but having the big screen in the background with horror movie clips or just, you know, pop culture clips playing and giant robots on the stage and things on fire. And 
it's really like an event, just like seeing an Alice Cooper show, I'm sure, back in the day. Now, I haven't seen Alice Cooper, but that's all kind of horror related. We have music. He takes clips from horror movies and puts them in his songs. Yeah, prominently in the songs. Like, at the start of the song, like, uh, what, Living Dead Girl? Who is this creature that is the insatiable love for the dead? Yeah. He does a Daughters of Darkness quote, which I love, which is, it's something about that dead girl's body gave you pleasure or whatever. You know, you know what song I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. And then recently, I hate to keep bringing up my recent episodes, but um, the lines from Dragula, the fear, superstition and jealousy come from uh, yeah. City of the Dead. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool guy, regardless of what you think of his movies or his music or anything. He's a cool guy that really loves horror movies. I was going to ask you what you thought of the, uh, since we're on the topic, what do you think of the Rob Zombie movies? Are you a fan? Uh, I'm a huge fan of House and Devils. Uh, Devils Rejects is my probably my number three favorite horror movie. Oh, wow. Honestly. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy it. I have Captain Spaulding tattooed on my arm right there. Now it's the Scooby-Doo version of Captain <laughs> Spaulding, but it's still Captain Spaulding. Uh, 31... I really enjoy Richard Brake's character in 31. I, I enjoy the, all of the clowns in 31. The Monsters was if everything I thought it was going to be. I wish it would have been done in black and white. And I think that they should have gave you that option when you bought the physical copy so that you could watch it in the way that it was meant to be made because Rob's gone on record saying it was meant to be black and white. Yeah. Uh, which I still enjoyed the color scheme too, but I just wish it would have been black and white. Uh, Three from Hell was a bit of a miss, but I think that's because of the writing had changed so quickly with Sid not being able to perform his part. Uh, but Richard Brake did great trying to make it work. I love the haunted world of El Super Bisto. That's the cartoon <laughs> he did. Yeah. What else? Uh, the Halloween remake is really good in my opinion. Halloween 2, not so much. You're not uh, talking Lord, about... You're leaving out his best movie. Lord of Salem? Yeah. It was, it was the last one I was going to say. <clears throat> Lords of Salem, I, I really dig Lord, Lords of Salem. What's funny is I didn't really like it the first time I watched it. I had to re-watch it again. And honestly, I think I've rewatched it about three times now since that first initial watching. And each time it's gotten better. I really like Sherry Moon's descent into madness mm-hmm. during that and i know he gets a lot of crap for casting sherry and casting richard brake and jeff daniel phillips and all you know all these people but this has been going on since movies started okay yeah. people i don't know why everyone is so butthurt about rob doing it because literally they all do it they all have their entourages. Any kind of like auteur director like Quentin Tarantino yeah. has actors he works with. Even Jordan Peele has actors he works with over and over. Exactly. He's like He's only done three movies. So it's like, I don't have any problem with that. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not as big of a fan as the Rob Zombie movies. I like House of a Thousand Corpses I, just for not necessarily for the story or anything, but just for the imagery that he creates. It's like a music video almost. I feel like that movie. I, I think what he said was if Texas Chainsaw Massacre got into a fight with Rocky Horror Picture Show, that would be House of Thousand Corpses. <laughs> and that's like the best description I've ever heard. I could see that. I Devil's Rejects I haven't seen probably since around when it came out. So I 
don't have an opinion on that right now. I need to rewatch that one of these days. But Lords of Salem is really the. And I hate to say it because I haven't seen Halloween since it came out either. I haven't really. I remember liking Halloween, but I was also a lot younger at the time. And I remember liking The Devil Rose Rejects. I just don't remember much about either film. But I really do, for some reason, like Lords of Salem. And I think it's that. I mean, he set out what he said to do was create much more of like a 70s slow burn horror film. Yeah. Where it's not cutting around all the time and it's not, you know, you get to have a scene play out. And I like that about Lords of Salem. So if if Fulci and Argento had a baby, that would be Lords of Salem. Yeah. Like, yeah, they combine the it, two together. Yeah. Because yeah, you have the grittiness of Fulci and then you have kind of the fantastical and the vision look like some of the shots, like if you look, think about some of the shots, like in the woods when they're dancing around the fire and stuff, mm-hmm. that's very much an Argento shot, you know, especially coming down from overhead and swoop in. But, uh, oh, I just got really nerdy there. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I think that's good. And I think there's also pieces. That, you're talking to me, Greg. Come on. That's true. Because that's we're true. just going about to go. I think there's a lot of those, um, a lot of similarities. And why I think he was right on when he's talking about 70s horror films. He knew what he was going for. Because there's a lot of those, and this will play into a recent Phantom Galaxy kind of episode you did, but there's a lot of those, they're kind of like they're erotic, like vampire movies and the <laughs> the um, witch movies and all that stuff that were going on in the 70s in Europe, whatever those guys were doing over there. Oh, yeah. And they have a lot of that feel, right? Like, there's a scene when she walks in the door and there's just the naked witches there in the, yeah. <laughs> in the room. And I feel like there's a lot of that in there too. So I think you're absolutely right. It feels like a European movie from the seventies or the eighties. And, and then if you look at devil's rejects, then you have the American version of a seventies movie. So you have a, a lot of the, the great seventies music that that score soundtrack on devil's rejects is a cut above and then you have this grit i want to say he shot it he shot a couple films where he shot it digitally and then they tried to add in the the film grit i don't think devils was one of them though i think that was actually shot on film and it's just it feels dusty it feels dirty it feels gross I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it came out around the same time as um, Grindhouse and other things like that. We're trying to take that old school feel to the yeah. films. And I think Rob Zombie, regardless, listen, I'm not going to sit here and say I love his movies, but I'm not going to trash the guy. I'm not going to trash the people that like his movies. It's just like you were yeah. saying earlier, like, why? Why are you going after someone? You cannot like something and just be fine with it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of movies I don't like. There, yeah. there are. I, I like I, I listen. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example of a band I listened to the other day. This isn't a movie, but this is the first thing that came to mind. Uh, there's a, an album that's coming out that came out like as an EP, you're like singles, like stacking singles. Yeah. And everyone's saying it's going to be the best album of 2023. I was like, I don't know anything about this band. I've heard one song. Let me listen to it. Let me see what's going on. And the band's Sleep Token. Okay. Listen to everything they had out on Apple. Listen to it twice through. It's not for me. I I didn't get it. Okay. I equated that to like an A24 horror film. For some people, it's not for them. They're not going to get it. They're not going to get the nuances in Midsommar. 
that I got. Okay. But I sat down and I gave it two full listens of everything they had on iTunes, which was, I don't know, like 20 some songs or something like that. I didn't have to give it that much time, but I did because I have a lot of peers in the industry saying, hey, this is going to be the best thing that's coming out this year. Well, it's all subjective. Music music is subjective. Movies are subjective. As much as people, and this is what I kind of get up on a soapbox about, is like as much as people want to drive home, even though something's considered a classic or considered, you know, the greatest of its time, doesn't mean you have to like it. It doesn't mean you have to, but it doesn't mean you have to tear someone down like we've been saying, but there's plenty of movies that I'm not a huge fan of. There's plenty of music that I'm not a huge fan of that people love. Yeah, but uh, question, what's the, uh, so what kind of genre is that band fall under? Greg, to get on music oh, for a man. minute. I had a feeling uh, we were going to get into music at some point, but. Oh, yeah, with me, you, it's pretty much shoo The best way I can describe it is if you take metal, no, I won't say metalcore. Yeah, if you take lighter, the lighter end of metalcore. Okay. Okay, and you take that music, and then you add R&B style vocals to some of it. Uh, that's a hard sell for me. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I will, I'll give it a listen, but. Have you ever heard of a band, uh, called sleep? Yeah. Okay. Real similar to that sound, like kind of like pot metal or groove metal. Yeah. But with more soulful lyrics. And more oh, so soulful. it's like Cold Chambers. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I'm just messing no, with you. No, I all, actually. I, <laughs> what? No, no I don't know where that came from. Game. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think the, thing, the, the word that comes up is loco, because that's who you are. <laughs> loco? No, I'm just messing with you. But I think I understand what, you, what it's going for. But sometimes those genre mashups, I just not. I don't know. I'll have to listen to it and check it out for myself. We cover some weird stuff on my show. We covered a pirate metal band, so I'm sure something like this is going to come up eventually. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's plenty of like those fantasy metal bands. I'm trying to think of what that one. <sighs> I just remember they had like some elf with swords on one of their covers. I cannot remember the name of the band. Oh, but... there's a ton of those. Yeah. <laughs> I found Once... a new one that Jackson Rawlings. I posted a, a post and Jackson messaged me and he was like, dude, I love them. And their name is um, Sonata Artica. Never heard of them, but they're very unique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get into some weird stuff. Yeah. I, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting down a whole nother path here. I feel like we could do a, an episode on weird metal bands, but oh, big time. Uh, Cause I believe it or not, I used to get pretty, pretty deep into it back in the, when I had time to listen to music more and now I've got like a 15 minute commute and I'm got to get it in when I can. But yeah, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that when I sit at my office, I either listen to a podcast, watch a movie or listen to music. So absolutely. But that's something I want to get back into more because I, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't listened to a lot of new music in like probably the last five years. So it's been like oh. still the older stuff that I've got. And it's, <laughs> Yeah, you're missing out. There's been some good stuff coming out lately. Uh, I'll tell you what all the kids are listening to is Lacuna Coil. So that that sounds like something that the kids would not be listening to. Maybe in yeah. 2005. Yeah, well, what's funny is, is they definitely have that 2005 early Suicide Silence kind of feel to them. And they actually toured with Suicide Silence. You're, you're talking about Lacuna year. Coil, like the European band, right? 
I believe they are. No, no, no. What I'm talking about is you're thinking of. Oh wait, I said that wrong. <laughs> Lorna Shore is who I'm thinking of, not. Lacuna oh, Coil. okay. I was like, <laughs> Lacuna Coil was definitely like an early aughts band. <laughs> I'm like, why did I say Lacuna Coil? So I, I looked it, it up like a goth metal phone, band, like, right, or a goth yeah. rock band. I'm like, they're like uh, goth. Oh man, I remember that song. Enjoy the silence. Yes. Um, yep. But anyway, you know, Lorna Shore is what okay. I've heard are. of Lorna Shore. I have not listened to Lorna Shore, yes, but I have Lorna, heard of them. They are a genre called deathcore. And at one point, Will Ramos, who's the lead vocalist, snorts like a pig. <laughs> I, I kid you not. And I'm like, it's just a shame because I really enjoy the the music part of it. And then when he snorts like a pig, it just takes me out of it. Like, I get, <laughs> like, I get it. It's a breakdown. He's trying to be like real aggressive, and like, then all of a sudden you hear, and I'm like, did he just snort? Like that was a snort. I just heard. Well, there's been some weird things that happened during breakdowns for sure, but. I'm I'm trying to think of like when you say deathcore, I'm trying to think of other bands that would be in that genre. So you said they are kind of similar to some Suicide Silence. Yeah, uh, Suicide Silence, Carnifex. What about something like Waking the Cadaver? You know uh, what I'm talking about? Yeah, um, uh, win, uh, Winds of Plague. Winds of Plague. Okay. Basically, anyone that was on the Chaos and Carnage tour, aside from uh, Upon a Burning Body. Okay. Uh, yeah, upon a burning body is more melodic deathcore than yeah. Or I would, I would call them more melodic metalcore than deathcore. Which I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm much more into the melodic, melodic death metal, melodic all that kind of stuff. I lean towards if we're talking about that. I can get into. I'm, in, I'm into the Latin Latin metal. Is really what I'm into. Latin metal, like, okay. Yeah, I'm like I'm huge into Latin metal. Any kind of anything that has a Latin flair to it. Do you like the newer? Sepultura. Yeah, like Sepultura, Soulfly, Cavalier Conspiracy, anything that Cavalier is attached yeah. to. Um, <laughs> anything with no. Max and Igor gets a thumbs up from you. <laughs> exactly. Um, Upon a Burning Body is absolutely a godsend. I absolutely love them. Um, you have bands like Severus, Puya. You can even get into... Um, uh, uh, Brujaria. Brujaria is really good. Uh, they sing a lot of satirical songs. But yeah, uh, sorry, another rabbit hole. Latin. No, we're good. <laughs> we're all good. Let's. Uh, okay, I think we've said probably what we were going to say on the age rating thing. Do you want to talk about your other topic that you had when we talked about this at first? <laughs> Which one was it? I think we were. Uh, I think it was about the horror Oscars or Oscars. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, let me get on my soapbox here. So, when do you think there will come a time, or do you think there will ever be a time, that horror will be taken seriously at the Academy Awards? I don't know. You would have to think if it was going to happen, it would have already happened. My problem with the Oscars, and sorry, I'll I'll do this really quick and then let you get into your your thoughts on this, but it's like when Matt Rawlings says like his boss gave him the ballot for <laughs> the Oscars because he never watched any movies. And the thought of like this old, it's almost like the, um, if we want to talk about sports for a little bit, the baseball hall of fame voters where it's like, you've got the, 
you've got all these older voters who won't touch anything from the steroids era. Yeah. And I think it's similar with the Oscars. I don't, I think we would have already seen the winds of change with these Oscar voters. Maybe they're just too clickish and up their own butts for their own good. Honestly, to even consider it goes right back. And I'm going to let you talk about this, but it kind of goes right back to what you were talking about with pretension and people thinking that horror has to be a certain thing to be taken seriously when you should probably just enjoy it for what it is. Do you think that marketing and money has anything to do with the nominations? Absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of things. I think, was it Chicago, I believe, was the movie where Catherine Zeta-Jones just threw a huge party, an Oscar party, to get drum up support for... You know, winning no, the Oscar. That sounds right, though. Yeah, <laughs> I think no, I'm thinking that was a thing, and it sounds like something that would happen. My problem with the Oscars is at some point we had movies like Gladiator and Braveheart and things up for Academy Awards, and then at some point we got a list of seven movies, and maybe you've heard of one of them, and you've only heard of the other six because people have been talking about how good they are in the lead up to Oscar season. And that's my problem with the entire show is sometimes I do get into that stuff and I'm not afraid of like delving into different genres. And I was really excited to see All Quiet on the Western Front, Top Gun Maverick, things like that nominated this year. There's just I feel like there's just too much money involved. There's just too much pretension involved for me anyway. Well, like so my like I was wondering why, like last year I was really excited to see Dune. Which I, I'm a big sci-fi fan. Yeah, as me well. too. And I love my comic book movies as well, all the comic books and animation. Yeah. So I, I'm all over the place, but horror tends to be my most favorite. But seeing Dune, you know, take home awards and be nominated was refreshing. I really enjoyed that. But then it got me thinking: When did sci-fi become acceptable? And I started going back, and I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't Star Wars. No. It became popular, but it didn't become acceptable. People right. were still like this, the nerds that like, oh, the Star Wars nerds, you know, it wasn't Star Trek. So it's like, when did this happen all of a sudden that now sci-fi is acceptable? And why is horror that's been around just as long, if not longer, some of the first movies ever produced on, you know, that we still think about were from 1922 were horror movies, right? So, like, you, you didn't have a sci-fi movie like that. You like like Nosferatu. You didn't have a sci-fi movie like Doctor, the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. So it just makes me wonder why there was a shift there and why sci-fi all of a sudden, especially with Dune, you got half of a of a book. You didn't even get the whole book. It's a part one. <laughs> you know, I just so it was just another thing that came to mind. Like, what happened there? Yeah. Well, and I'll save you from probably. The only person that would ever correct you is Nathan Barlbaugh on this. But um, 1927, we did get Metropolis, which is considered one of the earliest big sci-fi films. But your point is absolutely taken. The thing is with horror is you could always do it, right? Is it didn't matter what kind of a budget you had, what kind of stuff was available to you. You could put a horror movie together. And I think with sci-fi, it took a lot longer to develop because you've seen probably seen some of the sci-fi stuff from the fifties and sixties compared to what we've got in the seventies, even with star Wars and uh, things like that. And then what we get today, I mean, technology is what drives sci-fi and 
as you're saying with horror, horror was so prominent early on because it doesn't take a lot to make it. In some cases, you could do a lot with a little. Um, so I absolutely agree with you there, Greg, that horror has been around and been a foundation for a long time. I don't know why. I mean, sure, you'll see sci-fi movies win best makeup, best things like that. I mean, fantasy movies became acceptable when Return of the King won an Oscar, right? Yeah, I mean, without Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, I don't think I don't think fantasy. You don't even ever... see fantasy movies anymore, which yeah. is sad because I love fantasy movies as well, and you hardly see any of them. I I don't know, but Dune still didn't. My thing is like Dune still didn't win Best Picture though, right? I was no, trying Coda to think did. of what Coda did, and I haven't seen Coda, so I'm not going to comment on Coda. Usually, what happens is with those movies is there's like five very depressing dramas. I'm not saying they're bad movies. But I feel like that's just, that's what you usually get in genre. It usually gets kind of <laughs> kicked pretty, to the curb. Yeah, you're pretty uh, close on that. Yeah, but I love seeing Dune. I love seeing Top Gun Maverick nominated, even if they're not winning, because it makes me feel like we could get back to the day where the actual best picture might be something that the general population wants to watch. And right. I think right now there's a lot of money behind horror. There's a lot of um, support behind horror and not just from us losers who have been, you know, deep into <laughs> horror for a while. But I mean, the general population has taken notice and we've seen horror movies have great box office returns. They're not going to beat a superhero movie or something like that. But I don't know the momentum's there. And I feel like maybe we get over the edge and get to that because I think this lineup, this year's lineup of best pictures was probably one of the ones I was most interested in for uh, from a long time. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to get horror over the edge and into that, but so, I mean, I think get out was as close as we've come. Right. Yeah. Right. Depending on what your thoughts are on shape of water. I don't think it's a straight up horror movie. I think it's a lot of like a, a gothic a romance. Film. It yeah. is a genre film for sure. It's a, it's a gothic romance. Now Del Toro is a, a genius when it comes to, you know, storytelling and like even like Cabinet of Curiosities, which is the television show he put out mm-hmm. with uh, Netflix. It was really good. So, I mean, the, the guy can't really miss, but uh, I, mean, I guess he can. But you want to talk about snubs. Can. I don't even think he won best international picture for Pan's Labyrinth when that came out. Yeah. Or Devil's Backbone. Like, yeah. Pan's Labyrinth even was even you know a bigger success. And also a lot of people try to call it a better movie. So forget best picture. Yeah. That didn't even win best international yeah, that's, picture. That's crazy to me. And that, yeah. that, that movie, like that could have won best cinematography. You know what I yep. mean? So it's just, there's things like that that just, it baffles my mind. And it's, it's a shame for people like Mia Goth this past year. You can say what you want about those two movies that she made uh, with X and Pearl. But if you sit back and think that she didn't act her heart out in those movies and didn't deserve at least a nomination, I'm going to, I'm going to say you're not watching the movies, but that's just me. Yeah. And this is why I try not to get too caught up in this stuff because it feels like a bunch of like, you're not going to get Tony Collette to be no. nominated for hereditary. You're not going to get, you're just not going to get well, that. Even your best Farrow, chance. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I wonder if it goes back to, they're just not watching these. Yeah. I mean, if Mia Farrow didn't win it, then <laughs> like, what chance does anyone else? I think you have a much better chance of a horror movie winning best picture or a horror director winning best director than you do with any 
cast in a horror movie because it seems no matter what kind of performance they give, it's still seen as like a second rate thing. That's yeah. just my opinion. Except for Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs, which he was on screen for what seventeen minutes. Yeah, and he he wins Best Actor for seventeen minutes of work. Granted, it is some of the best seventeen minutes that you'll ever get out of a serial killer, but. Like it's just it's weird to see the 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 snubs in the other areas, and I just don't think we'll ever get to a point unless something drastically changes that we'll ever get to a point that uh, that Oscars take horror for you know, seriously. And I, I just I, it's a shame. Yeah, and I and you're missing one point, Greg, is that Silence of the Lambs is not a horror movie. No, again, and neither is Get Out. Neither is Get Out. You're I think you're. <laughs> That's the problem, right? Is anytime horror gets close or wins they have to automatically call it a thriller or I was gonna something say, like that they have to relabel it to make it okay like they won't just concede to the point that it was a horror movie it's horrific so i i don't know there's just one of those things that i just think we're we're screwed we're just never gonna have that option if something does win you know if if hereditary would have won for something that they would have made that a thriller which obviously it's a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things. I don't know. Yeah. And I'll get off my soapbox. No, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I feel like that's a hot button issue. Every time we have like one of these big movies or a big perform or a good performance, I think it gets brought up again. And my problem with something like the, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in like, a horror only award show either. Unless it's something like I, I like listening to in, you know, voting on this stuff for like father and son when they do their horror Oscars or whatever, their podcast. Yeah. I like the chainsaw awards and stuff. Yeah. My thing with that is what I really want is just a group of diverse critics to be included in an award show. I want, you know, there to be drama fans, but I want there to be sci-fi fans and horror fans and, specific things like that. And I want them to all come together in these shows instead of, I don't know who they give voting in the Academy, but and I'll tell you in getting back to criticism, does anyone actually pay any attention or give any merit to rotten tomatoes anymore? No, I I don't think I ever have though. (laughs) I'm just thinking like the last time I go on there, you go on and you'll see some random horror movie get like, I don't know, 97% with like 10 people, 10 critics that have rated it. And it's just so backwards. I mean, I feel like 2020 broke Rotten Tomatoes completely. It's always been like a, you know, a bad way to talk about movies and stuff in general, but you could get a general idea of like, hey, do people like this? Should I go rush out and see it? Or should I wait until it comes home or something? But now it's just like, there are so many films with like nineties that only have 10 critics that have left a review on it. And it's just, it's undecipherable. Like you can't use it anymore. They're, they need to change their, their metric. And the metric needs to be that you can't have a rating, like a fresh rating or anything like that without a certain amount of of, uh, votes or reviews in because you have, uh, and the other thing is you have the adverse of that as well, where you have people, Review bombing. Yep. So you have the adverse reaction because there are people that say, well, it says uh, it's a dud on Rotten Tomatoes. I might as well not go out and watch it. 
Well, it's just because it's review bombed for something somebody said or something somebody did or whatever, blah, 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 blah. You know, you're having that even in the uh, video game industry right now with Hogwarts. Oh, uh, which is ridiculous. Well, the good thing about Hogwarts is that I don't want to get deep into it, but the thing with Hogwarts is a lot of the people who have a problem with that have decided to just not review it. Yeah, which is great. That's what should happen. Yeah, like this is exactly what we've been talking about. Yeah, just stand there quietly. Yeah, and let other people enjoy what they enjoy. It's none of your business what I watch and what I enjoy. Yeah, unless I tell you on the internet, which I do. (laughs) And then that case, it's still not your business to tell me I'm wrong. It's your business to tell me, hey, I don't agree with you, and this is the reason why. There's a difference. Yeah, and you bring up a good point because I'm excited to play Hogwarts. I don't care who made it, how it was made or whatever. Yeah. I pretty much can completely separate the art from the artist. What's what's your take on that, Greg? Is there a line where someone does something bad enough where you aren't going to be interested in the film or game or whatever it is, music? So I, th- I think there is there is a certain line, right? And for each person, that line's going to be different. Right. And for me... Once a piece of art, while it's still a personal thing, once you've put it out there, it's no longer yours. Okay, you've now given that to the the public. So whether or not I feel strongly or passionate about something that I've made, once I release it, it's no longer mine. Right. So and I because I feel that way, I see that when it comes to other people's art and other people's properties when it comes to that kind of thing. So like when people say, oh, well, that was backed by Weinstein. Well, you're right. Weinstein did put up the money. I'm sorry to hear that. However, that doesn't stop me from the fact that there was 100 people that worked on that film that did a great job that deserved my respect. Not him. Okay. Yeah. I don't agree with what he did. I don't condone or want to be associated with it, but the hundred of hundred people that worked on the film that he put the money up for, I absolutely respect and condone what they do because they put out a, a film that I'm, I'm passionate about. So there's a, there's a definitive line. Well, and the thing about that too, is you, you bring up a good point, but if you're going to draw the line there, um, where do you draw the line? Because I'm sure there have been many a Hollywood productions that have had, not so great things happen yeah. on set or offset or whatever. I mean, there's troubles with every film, but I'm sure there's a lot, there was a lot of stuff going around a lot of movies and where do you draw a line? Cause at some point you're not going to be able to watch a lot of things. So I can, I can think of an in two instances, right? Mm-hmm. And a third one that just happened recently where you had deaths on set. Yes. Okay. For those films, that's a hugely traumatic situation right so you have the the three that i'm thinking of is the one that happened with baldwin just recently yep okay the one that happened with um brandon lee the crow yep okay and the one that happened with john landis on twilight zone yep how many people still watch john landis movies knowing that he may have been a fault for the death of three people yeah at least gross negligence um, right if nothing else given the stories He's still interviewed on you know, all the documentaries. We still, American Werewolf in London is still praised as being one of the best horror movies of all time from the 80s. You know, there's all these different things that you can get into. So there's a certain amount of division that you have to take into 
consideration, I guess. Yeah. You know? I mean, American Werewolf is one of my favorite films of all time. And it's funny, though, and I'm sure you get tired of it over the years, but every time I've heard and I at different various documentaries, anytime anyone presses John Landis on the Twilight Zone, he just like shuts it down immediately. Yeah. And I'm sure you have to after that. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but his actions probably led to the death of people. Do we not watch his movies anymore? You know, he's friends with Joe Dante. Do we not watch Joe Dante's movies anymore, even though Joe didn't do anything wrong? Like, where do you draw the line on that? Well, the, the three of them, Mick Garris, Joe Dante, and John Landis are like, you know, like brothers. Like, they're yeah. always together. They're always talking. And it's just like, those are three directors that I actually enjoy all of their movies. Like, a lot of people will say Mick Garris hasn't really done much, but I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and Mick Garris has done a lot of Stephen King stuff. So, like, yeah. And he did Critters too, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> and Sleepwalkers, right? And did he sleep- do Sleepwalkers? Yeah, yeah, he did Sleepwalkers. Yeah, he did. Uh, but he's another one that casts his wife and everything. So it's like everybody does that. Anyway, that's back to the Rob Zombie topic, unfortunately. Sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, for me, it's you have to have that division of art and person, art and artist. And they're two totally different things. And once that art is released to the public, it's now public domain, even though it's not public domain. It, it is, you know what I mean? So yeah. the artist and, is now separate from it. And we can talk about something like um, Jeepers Creepers, where the director is just a horrible human being. But I saw Jeepers Creepers and Jeepers Creepers too before I knew any of that. I mean, I was Same. watching those things as a teenager. I didn't know anything about that. Do I suddenly have to discount those films? No, it doesn't mean I have to give money to the movies. But... Greg, are you um, I don't know if you're aware of this. You're familiar with like Richard Stanley, who did Color Out of Space, right? Yeah. Did you hear about the controversy with him? No. So he's, I mean, he's effectively always, been. He's, he's always ahead. around controversy, though. <laughs> yeah, well, he's um, he effectively was canceled because he had allegations of abuse, I believe, against him of a um, ex-girlfriend or wife or something. Where I have the problem with this is that so Severin Films, which is for those of you who don't know, it's a unique. It's a, sorry, not a unique boutique like Blu-ray and DVD releaser, and they were set to put out Blu-rays of his two early films, Hardware and Dust Devil, which I'm a fan of both. They canceled those because of these allegations and gave money, I think, from proceeds to some charity or something like that of other sales because I do have a Severin DVD of hardware and I have a Miramax DVD of dust devil, but they're not very good packages. Anyway, what happened with him is he actually, I think got the case thrown out and filed a defamation lawsuit against the accuser. So now we're, and I don't know, he could still have abused this woman. We don't know that, but now we have two of his films that we're going to get, these great releases and they're just never going to happen over something that may or may not been his fault or out of his control. It's very weird with him because have you seen the documentary about the Island of lost souls movie? He was doing. Oh, yeah. Brando. oh, oh that's yeah. a great. That's what, that's what I said when, when I say he's always had era about or aura about him of uh, controversy. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it seems from that, that he uh, didn't do well under pressure and he probably should have just been doing his own thing for a small budget all along. But it sounds like he cracked. Is what it sounds he, like. dude, he's out there. He was out there 
in general, but I think he's made some good movies. I did. I did really enjoy that documentary. That was really good. That was really a really good documentary. It. If you haven't watched that, um, go check it out. It's like the the Lost Souls or something like that. I think it's called, and it's the story of him making the the Island of Doctor Moreau. And it's weird. He kind of pop. He didn't pop back up until that was the late nineties. He didn't pop back up until twenty nineteen, and then he gets shut down again. So I'm not yeah. here to say whether Richard Stanley is innocent or guilty. That's not for me to decide. I don't think anyone knows except the people involved but that gets crazy to me when we almost had these releases of these movies i enjoy and now we're never going to get those for something that might not have been his fault i don't know but i i think what i agree with what you're saying is it's not for you to decide yeah you know what i mean and i understand why people would as a company this goes back to the megan thing as a company i understand why they do the things they do mm-hmm. i understand why megan cut or why the company cut the Megan's back to a PG 13. I understand why they took and, you know, deleted the, the Blu-ray from distribution or whatever, because that could be a larger scale thing. Do I think it's right? No. Cause like you said, it's not for us to decide whether or not he's guilty. It's up to a jury of his peers to decide mm-hmm. that, you know what I mean? So it's, it's just a hard line to walk. And I, I don't think it's going to get any easier as we move forward as a country and, as individuals in this ever-changing time. I just yeah. think this is what it is. So we're just going to have to learn how to adapt and deal with it. Just like COVID, we had to adapt and deal with it, right? So I think it's the Absolutely. same thing. I, I just feel like sometimes, and the problem is, is I don't want to, if you're abusing a woman, if you're doing any of that kind of sexual assault, any of that stuff, I don't want anything to do with you. And I don't have any purpose for you. Oh, yeah. But it's you're, not, you're I'm not judged your... Yeah, I'm not judge, jury, and executioner. And at one point it was innocent until proven guilty. It seems like sometimes we jump the gun. And this isn't necessarily a political thing. I think it happens with everyone. There's It happens all over the political spectrum. Oh, yeah. But sometimes maybe wait until you have some facts before you go ahead and say, you know, let's cut this down. But again, I'm with you. I understand why Severin says, let's cut this off. We don't want... And I'm not... <laughs> Like you said, I, I'm not completely sure that Richard Stanley is some kind of saint. <laughs> I think there's been a lot of things that have come out about Richard Stanley that maybe aren't the best, but I better be careful because I'm going to get a defamation suit filed against this podcast. <laughs> he seemed like, I, I tell you what, he seemed like a dude I would have partied with. Oh, absolutely. I definitely yeah. would have partied with him. He'd be taking peyote out in the deserts yeah. of Australia and... I still yeah, want to know who the first dude was that flipped over a patty. I was like, I'm going to eat that. <laughs> Whoa, I, I tripped. I should have uh, done anything. Yeah, how does that come about, man? I I don't know. All right, Greg, I got it. I've got one more thing I want to I want to talk to you about uh, for this episode, at least. Uh, and then if you got anything else, we can dig into it. But I want to know. It seems like I think I know that you or into a lot of international horror films and stuff, but I want to get your take on the state of that. And if you think it's in a good place with international horror films, if you think we're, you know, getting a lot of good stuff these days, or if you're thinking it's not so productive, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I think currently we're getting a lot of diversity in international horror films, which is nice. I think anytime you can add diversity to anything that, can typically be pigeonholed into something that's uh, uh, like a one category type feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like adding the diversity to it. And I think right now with international horror films, 
you are getting a ton of diversity. Because if you look at the movies coming out of like Middle Europe versus the movies that are coming out of Asia, they're completely different. Yeah. Right. And I like both of them. You know, Europe tends to be a little bit more slow burning with a big payoff at the end, where Asia tends to be a lot of the Asia extreme, which, uh, you know, Tartan's, you know, known for and stuff like that. But I I like the diversity that's coming out. I never like to say that we're in like a period of high and a period of low. But I think with international horror, you can always find something. Like, even if you look into like South America, like, Things that like Gigi Saw Guerrero come out with, like Bingo Hell and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, which I enjoy. There's a lot of different diversity. You know, if I gave you the Don't Speak, the Sadness, and Bingo Hell. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, So there's three international movies that are like wildly different that all came out within the last two years. And it's just like, you know, it's a lot of fun to be part of that and it if you were back to the topic like you said earlier about only watching 80s horror or the schlocky stuff you're never going to experience these things right and that's not fair to them as filmmakers but it's also not fair to you as far as development as far as being a fan so i think right now the biggest word that i can come up with international horror is diversity so no that's good and i i think everyone knows it's listening to me i love stuff coming from other countries and watching that. And I think that started for me with stuff like it, we talked about pan's labyrinth. I think I did a double feature that I rented from the video store. That was like pan's labyrinth and apocalyptico or something like that, which are <laughs> a very interesting double feature, but it was stuff <laughs> like that. It was stuff like let the right one in and all that. That kind of got me into that yeah. in the first place. And I feel like today we're getting so much. I feel like the thing is, Except unless we're talking about Korea or maybe Japan too, a lot of the stuff we get is probably the best of the best that's coming from that country each year. So, so when you're seeing that, it's easy to say like, Oh yeah. Train to Basan is one of the best movies, you know, of that decade, even if you want to go that far, which I think a lot of people do, that's probably the best of the best we got in Korea around that time. But, it's great to see that we're getting stuff from all over. We're getting stuff from Persia with, um, I don't know if you've seen like under the shadow from several years back. Um, it's just like this Persian ghost story in an apartment with a mom and her kid. And, or you get something like the last matinee from, I think was Uruguay that came Uh, out. It was one of those. I know they were speaking Spanish, but technically it was a Spanish speaking country that wasn't. Yeah, it was it was one of the South American countries. I can't remember if it was that or not. And then you've gotten stuff from, you know, Norway. You get stuff from the Netherlands. You get you're getting all kinds of things. And man, the, the last minute, man, just go back to that. Yeah, you want to talk about a throwback? That is a a really good throwback slasher. And you know, unfortunately, you have a subset of 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 fans that aren't going to watch it because it's subtitled. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's it's a shame because it's really good. Yeah, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the 80s horror. And do you watch the um, the last drive in with Joe Bob Briggs? Yeah, I, tr- I try to watch it. I've wa- yeah, I don't I'm not watch this religiously, but I have watched the past. I know they've talked about in the past, you know, people don't want to see black and white stuff and they don't want to see subtitles. And I'm yeah, 
what I just recommended that El Demonio film. It's black and white and subtitles. So I guess that's not going to get play <laughs> play anywhere. But that's my thing is like, why are you limiting yourself to just that? And you don't have to like everything. You don't have to if you don't like the Asian. There's very distinct flavor to a lot of those Asian horror movies. If you're looking at things like the wailing or you're looking at things like with the comedy thrown into like the serious horror and you're going to have to go through a lot with that. But I just love that we're seeing stuff from Taiwan. We're seeing stuff from Indonesia. We're seeing stuff from all over the place. And I think last year was a really good year. Um, What was that movie on Netflix? Incantation was pretty good. It didn't make my top 25 list. Did you watch that one? I don't I don't think so. I'm thinking back. I don't remember one. It was about of um, a young woman getting possessed or kind of getting a curse laid upon her. And she was trying to break this curse. It, it was almost so. found footage type, but it's a pretty good one. There's things like something that I liked out of France was some like it rare, which is like this horror comedy about cannibals and or cannibalism. And that was that was fun. I mean, there's just so much. Yeah, that was one. Of, that was one of my biggest surprises. I caught that one like the last week before I recorded. And I just think it's just thriving. And I love that we get all this different stuff. Now, you're going to look at my top 10 every year, and there's probably going to be eight of those that come from the U.S. Sure. Yeah. But I I think it's fun to get into other stuff. I mean, we live in the U.S. That's that's what we see. uh, You know, our our market is going to be driven that way. This is because where we live, we live in the U.S. Our market is the U.S. market. We're, We're an N.A., uh, market so yep that's we're gonna get canada we're gonna get us and that's basically what we get some and some mexican and um south america but not you know typically it's gonna be us and canada especially in theaters now around me i don't know if this is like this in west virginia but uh, we have a bigger i know up here a bigger like indian population i think that has to do with like the ohio state um being like the big medical college that it is but we'll yeah. have like hindi films playing in our movie theater so you'll have like on an 18 screen theater you'll have you know 16 of those filled up with whatever every other movie theater is then you'll have two screens that are specifically playing like two different hindi movies and they play a lot it's not just like big ones that's pretty cool yeah like they were playing that rrr movie i don't know if you watched that on netflix that was pretty it got a lot of buzz this year this big over-the-top the, action The only movie. reason why I didn't watch it is I didn't have time to watch it. Oh, it's so long. It's like three <laughs> hours. <laughs> I finally sat down and watched it, but yeah, it's stuff like that, but then there's like these other like drama romances that you never heard about, and it's uh, that's pretty cool. That was something that I didn't get until I moved to the north east side of Columbus, or the northern side of Columbus in general. We didn't yeah, get that I, I have to travel like an hour to see anything like big, like if I if I want to go to like a a, a bigger city um, type of thing, I have to go to at, at least the other side of Kentucky to yeah. the, the east side of Kentucky because we're just not going to get anything like that. We get very few. Like Charleston, get we'll get a couple, and then Huntington, we'll get a couple, and that's about it. So yeah, I I mean, I went to school in college in southwestern Pennsylvania, so I I had to drive half an hour to get to any kind of movie theater. And then if you wanted to see something else, you might have to drive a little further. I remember something. I can't remember what it was, but it was limited run and it was only playing in like Huntington, West Virginia. And I'm like, I'm not driving <laughs> two, two and a half hours. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's hard, but... man. It, it can it can get like like Terrifier when, when Terrifier 2 came out. 
and they did that initial release on October 6th. I was like looking everywhere for it and they had nothing in the state like at all. And like Dustin and uh, his wife ended up driving to Kentucky to watch it while Dave and I were driving back from Scarefest at the same time in Kentucky. <laughs> so it's like we were all in Kentucky for different reasons because there just wasn't anything. And then, of course, they released it like two weeks later in, in our theater. But it's like we wanted to see it right then and there. and We couldn't do it. So well, that's it's just, uh... it's... Oh, go ahead, Greg. It's just weird in this 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 area. That's all. Yeah, well, that's the benefits of living like I grew up in a smaller town and, you know, movie theater that's only going to play, you know, the biggest of movies. But when you're in somewhere like Columbus and you've not only got like the independent movie theaters that are going to play. These obscure independent titles. But you've also got like a big theater like our Marcus theaters, which I don't think they're a huge chain across the U.S., but they are across the U.S., and they'll even play stuff like the. That's where I saw Synchronic. That's where I saw Pig. And those weren't playing at Cinemark or anything like that. But even those bigger theaters in the bigger cities seem to pick up some of those movies. Yeah, and that's that's maybe a topic for another day too. Is AMC deciding they're going to charge different prices for oh, different seats? <laughs> yeah, they're already. <laughs> you know, it's already bad enough because um, Nathan had sent me earlier I, I don't know if it was it was earlier this week they were charging twenty dollars for blood and honey for oh, a wow. ticket and you couldn't use like your amc pass or whatever with it either so oh, wow. <laughs> amc's i feel like nickel i usually go to cinemark here i don't know what you what kind of theater you go to i go to cinemark because i can go see a matinee for six bucks uh, in a big see, city the my closest one is cinemark and then I go to the Regal sometimes because they'll have different things. And then the, the one in Huntington is AMC. So it's like it depends on which theater chain is carrying what. But the closest one is Cinemark. And that's just like right around the corner from me. But with it between, you know, 20 mile radius, I have all three major competitors. The thing about me, if I want to go see a movie at the AMC, which is closer than the Cinemarks to me. I'm going to be paying you know, 12 bucks for a matinee for me to see a movie. Yeah. And when I can pay half the price at Cinemark, I'm going to go. But yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know how we got down this, this topic. But. <laughs> <laughs> point, say, I'm a curse, man. I, it's me, I'm a curse. <laughs> the point is, is if you're, uh, if you're not watching subtitled horror, there's plenty of it out there for you to, to get into. And I'm sure there's list out there. You know, some guy might do a top 25 list each year that contains several international <laughs> horror movies. But uh, there's plenty of things out there for you to check out and get into and kind of dip your toes in the water and see if you like it. Because I think we're both probably fans of, um, you know, the old Italian horror movies and and everything like that. So, I mean, I, I but you know me, I love it, Italian made. But yeah, um, I think Dave, honestly, I don't really, well, I don't know, it's going to hurt me to say this. I don't really condone anything that Dave says as being educational <laughs> and or um, smart, edu- you know, intelligent. Uh, but he did say when we when we covered Train to Busan, he goes, "You know, you didn't tell me it was subtitled." And he doesn't do a lot of sub. He's a very we call him country. Okay, he's very country, <laughs> and he you know he's just used to what he's used to, and that's part of what our show is. But uh, is educating him. 
And he goes, when he was watching Train of Busan, he was like, I felt like I learned Korean. <laughs> he goes, halfway through the movie, he was like, I understand Korean. And he was like, no, I don't understand Korean. I'm just reading the subtitles with the movie, but I understand Korean. He's like, my brain was like, I'm not even reading it anymore. I'm just understanding what's happening. And I said, yeah, that's what happens with a lot of subtitled films. You don't really realize that you're reading the subtitles. You're enjoying the movie. You're being engrossed yep. and enveloped in the movie, and it's in their native language. So you don't have... Now, granted, I love me some Jalo overdubs, okay? Uh-huh. They're fine. I love them. However, some people don't get into that. And, you know, with the subtitles, I you know, I think when we covered uh, the Jalo for your show, we covered Torso, which is subtitled. Yep. You know, it's just, it was fun to watch Dave specifically because he just doesn't do a lot of subtitled and or horror to do both. And he was like, I knew Korean. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that was... That was a fun call in you guys did because I feel like Dave, it actually seemed like he was getting into it. It was getting into torso. So that was, that was cool. Uh, I always love that as like showing someone a movie for the first time or someone getting introduced to something for the first time. And torso is a heck of a way to start. <laughs> yeah. I threw him into the deep end. <laughs> but it, it's, it's one of my favorites. I didn't want to show him my favorite Jalo because then like, if he said something bad about it, I would have had to stab him. Yeah. It would have been and, over. <laughs> yeah, but but it is one of my favorite things to do on the show is introducing them to things because we usually watch like right here in my basement where I'm casting right now. We usually watch the movies together, so like it was fun watching him watch The Exorcist for the first time. It was fun watching oh, yeah. him watch Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. So it's just it's yeah. As much as I give him shit, it's still a lot of fun. See, that's why I had kids, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, okay. Who even knows if my kids will be into horror movies? But. Uh... Mine's not, so yeah. <laughs> well, not yet. There's time. Yeah, he's only five, so yeah. There's now, time. When I was five, I was watching very inappropriate films, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to him. <laughs> you see, when I was younger, I was like, um, and I think my oldest daughter might have a little bit of this too. Is I was drawn to like watching horror movies, like on TV, when I shouldn't have been like late at night. But then I'd be terrified of them, and I'd you know. Yeah, well, it, it is weird how that happens with, with stuff. And I think that I think it has a lot to do with our personalities, yeah. honestly. When you, when you get in, this is nerdy, but when you get into the, the aspect of you know ADHD or you get into the aspect of some sorts of some types of mental illness and stuff and the way we adapt and I guess adapt and perceive like the things that we're viewing and we're, we're consuming i think it has a lot to do with you know the types of stuff that we watch and for me like horror was always a safe haven for me even though it was violent and gory and stuff like that i my uncle sat me down he said greg this is all fake just remember none of this is real and that's somebody that puts on makeup and he showed me tom subini's book when i was like five or four five or six years old he was like see these are all makeup and i that's what kind of jumped me off on that uh that journey and he's where the over his house is where i watched street trash and where i watched cannibal holocaust and stuff like that way too young i was born in 82 and i was watching those movies on vhs (laughs) in the late 80s so like (laughs) but you know it's just it's weird how we adapt to things and it, it makes you who you are though so it's a lot of fun well greg is there anything else you want to kind of talk about on this episode or are we 
No, man, I, I had a lot of fun. This is fun just going into like kind of the state of where we're at. And hopefully you get some feedback on it from people and uh, maybe they can give their two cents in. And I just, you know, I would really love to, to see a more uh, together community. Like I always stand up for horror and heavy metal communities because there's no other fans like that. You know, they're the most passionate they're honestly some of the nicest people you ever meet, even though Absolutely. they always dress in black and look mean. Yep. Um, we're not, you know, none of us are. Yeah, they always have those outliers, but honestly, they're not really part of our group. They may show up to be part of it. Like they may come to a metal show and be there for the show, but they're not the ones you're hanging out with at the coffee shop afterwards talking about the show. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that I just, I love having these conversations with other people that, they may be like-minded, but have different opinions on the movies that we don't get to do all the time. And luckily we have the internet and podcasts that we can go on and do that. You can come on my show. We can talk about a new movie to show Dave and a new album. I can come on here and talk about, you know, random things like pretentious people that critics that criticize stuff. So it's a nice time to be able to do this stuff. And I really appreciate having you on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love just having, I don't, I'm doing a lot of these episodes by myself. A lot of the times I just don't have, you know, where I can just sit down and talk to someone about something. No, I think I had, when I had Dave Becker on, it kind of devolved into that, just like talking different stuff and horror. So that's fun to do that. And especially, you know, when I do have someone, it's usually to talk about specific movies and then you're talking about the movies and you're not talking about just whatever coming to your mind. But you know, those are fun too. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy breaking down the movies and, and breaking down the albums on, on the episodes. But at the same time, on, uh, you know, that's our recording night. On a Saturday night when we're upstairs with the entire crew, that's just as fun to me. Where we're, we're just shooting the shit, you know what I mean? And that's that's kind of like what I see, like, like what you and I did tonight was just, it was like, it was formatted. Like we had questions we wanted to ask each other. We had yeah. topics that we wanted to do. But it was more of a conversation. And while I love the other episodes, this was a lot of fun, you know, to do as well. So, yeah, man, I I really appreciate you having you on and you coming on and doing this show because, like I said, I don't I don't get to talk enough just about horror or anything like that. Like I do social media here and there, but I don't have anyone in my life really that's into this kind of stuff. And now metal's a little different. I do have some. Most of my friends are into metal, but <laughs> I'll say that. But horror when we're, when we're talking horror or movies in general, I just don't have a lot, you know, I could talk to my wife about it and she can roll her eyes about whatever I'm talking about or not, right. not paying attention, but, and that's nothing against her. It's just, if you're not interested in it, you're not interested in it. But, uh, I was watching, Oh, what was I watching the one day? And she come in, she's like, what are you, what are you watching? And I told her what it was. And I think it was, it may have been what, what, what happened to Solange. What have you done to Solange? Oh yeah, my what, God. what have you done to Solange? Or it may have been, it may have been Deep Red because I I just got that Deep Red collection too, um, that special edition, and it no it was I think it was Deep Red and she goes what what is happening why does it sound like this this is terrible and I'm like go watch your Real Housewives get out of my you know get out of here so it never <laughs> fails like um, I feel like it's funny because every time I used to walk in like to her watching something upstairs it would be in the middle of like a sex scene or something. And then, and then like, and that would happen with my movies too, or like a nudity scene. But then the one time I remember it was around Halloween. I 
usually watch Suspiria every couple years around Halloween because that is my favorite Argento movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. But she comes down and she's sitting here and she's talking to me while the movie is on in the background. And then she gets to the scene where, um, you know, there's the barbed wire and the girl's just rolling around in barbed wire. She's like, well, OK, I think that's my cue to leave. <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not sure what's going on here, but I'm going to leave. That's a pretty uh, <laughs> uh, rough scene, we'll say. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily that. She was just like, I'm I'm not sitting down here and watching this. Like, what is this? Well, have you ever seen the movie Street Trash from 87? I, I have, yeah. It's been a while. Okay. but Well, I, I showed Dustin had never seen it, so I showed him the what I'm calling Ding Dong Keep Away scene. And, you know, that seemed like it's not supposed to be as funny as it is, but I laughed for a full five minutes after watching it again. And so I was like, you know what? This is something I want to share with Jessica. So I hand her my phone. I'm like, watch this scene. And like, she goes, you watch this as a child. Like, this was your thing. Like, <laughs> like, well, yeah. She was like, like, no wonder there's so much wrong with it. I'm like, just, like, just watch the scene. It's fun. But you know, by the end of it, she was like, okay, thanks for that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're never going to win. But I, that kind of reminds me of something like, you know, something that you would think is like, you in general, like you think's funny, but no one else around you thinks it's funny. Yeah. And that was, if, if you've seen the movie hot rod with uh, Andy Samberg. Yeah. Yeah. That was ahead of its time, man. Yeah. The cast, the cast of that movie was man. Well, we went and I remember seeing that and it was like a packed, we were still, I think we were still in high school, might've been seniors, but it was a packed house on a Friday night. And I'm sitting there with like five of my buddies and we're all, just dying laughing on this thing through the entire thing. We see people walking out. Everyone's kind of like looking at us as they're watching this movie. And we're like, what man? Like this is good stuff, but (laughs) yeah, it's funny that kind of connected that friend group to my roommate in college who was also like a huge fan of that movie. That movie, I feel like had just cult followings all over the place, but I love hot rod, but that's not something (laughs) my wife thinks. Yeah. Yeah, I used to watch all the time, but. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff that's uh, usually around horror that I think is just I'll show her like, I'll be like look at this look at this and she's like okay like <laughs> oh, here you go I ordered I ordered this okay okay yeah and the, the listeners can't see it but it is the entire series of the Dark Shadows the revival okay mm-hmm. this is a 1991 I think television series about dark shadows about you know barnabas collins and all that kind of stuff uh yeah that's how i i got super excited when that came in the mail i'm like look i got my and she was like all right like, <laughs> <laughs> see i usually just grab mine off the front porch and hide them downstairs before anyone else can see oh i i, I parade mine around the house <laughs> <laughs> well then i get the questions like what did you buy this time Oh, she she quit asking those years ago. And then every once in a while, it's like a wonderful life on 4K. And she's like, oh, I want to watch that. <laughs> mine, yeah, no, mine. She never says she wants to watch mine. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's because you're, yeah, I can only imagine what you're, what you're getting into there with your. Well, the other one was, the other one I just got in was uh, Inseminoid. <laughs> the I don't know original, why she wouldn't want to watch that. <laughs> the original 13 Ghosts mm-hmm. and Body Double. That was the three that came in one That's a weird Europe. That's a weird package, but I yeah, appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I know. That's something like, uh, I don't know if you've seen Cemetery Man. 
the Italian movie from like the nineties. That's uh, who is that? Who, who directed that one? Um, uh, Michele Suave. Suave. The guy that did uh, he was the mask guy in Demons. The guy with the uh, like the opera mask in Demons. But he directed um, Stage Fright and The Church. Oh, and... Stage Fright. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you probably stage fright's probably you know. Anyway, I love that movie, but it's been out of print forever. I had like a thirty dollar used DVD I bought, uh, but there was a region free one that came out of the UK, and I bought this, and it's got a woman just bearing it all right there on the front of the cover, and I'm like, well, you probably got to hide. It. <laughs> I'm like, can I flip that over? Can I? Uh, but oh, Rupert Everett and Francois Lazaro. Yep. If you haven't seen that one, it's pretty good. It's a, uh, it's definitely it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's definitely comedy all throughout that, but it gets pretty existential too. So, I'll check that one out. Yeah, that's a good one if you haven't seen that one. But uh, anyway, Greg, I feel like we could just keep going on forever here. But yeah, we could. Well, we have to make this a more frequent occasion. Yeah, I think we talked about maybe doing this as more stuff comes up, maybe later in the year or stuff. We can do this every once in a while. Just get down and talk about this stuff, but you want to tell everyone where to find you and give your plugs? Uh, sure. Uh, Greg Bazzelli on uh, Facebook. If you want to find me on there, but find me through monsters and the mosh pit is the easiest way. You can email us at monster, sorry, monsters and the mosh pit at gmail.com. Uh, we are, we have our own Facebook group page at monsters and the mosh pit. Twitter is monsters mosh pit. Uh, we're on Slasher as well. Uh, we're on TikTok at Monsters in the Mosh Pit, where you can see my specialty drink that I make for every episode. So every episode has a drink that's dedicated towards the episode. Like for, uh, we'll talk about the It miniseries we did, which was episode 17. I did the Cherry You'll Float 2, which was like a, a boozy cherry float. You can find the podcast on pretty much all directories, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Music, Stitcher, blah, 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 all those kind of things. Uh, Our show, like we said earlier, is a horror movie and a heavy metal album that Dave, my co-host, has never seen or listened to. And uh, we have four co-hosts, and we like to sit around my pool table and BS. And They're long format shows, but I break them up into two parts. So you have the movie first. We go in-depth spoilers and everything uh, by scene by scene. And then we do the album track by track. So that's us. That's what we do. Yeah. And I like that. The good thing about like being connected in social media and having all these different types of podcasts out there is there's so much variety. And I feel like what you guys do is very much different than a lot of other things, especially going like track by track on the albums. Yeah. I've always thought of like doing that and that that would be fun, but that's not easy to to sit around and talk about either is try to dissect the tracks and stuff on there. But the way that yeah, you break it up, go ahead. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, uh, yeah, this track sounds like the first track. Yeah. <laughs> Cause <laughs> you can't really, there's like, you only get so much you can say sometimes. Exactly. For the most part, we have fun with it. You do your best, you know, but, um, I, yeah, I just like the diversity of like, there's so many different types of podcasts you can listen to out there. You can listen to me ramble on about, you know, boring historical facts. So you can go over there and hear, you know, four guys just given day. Well, three guys just giving Dave a hard time, yeah, but verbal, verbal chaos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, as far as what's next, um, I'm not going to tell you because I honestly don't know right now. So maybe I'll tease that out on social media closer to time. But you can find the podcast over on Twitter at Screaming Ages, over on Facebook group. I have an open Facebook group at Screaming Through the Ages, uh, horror movie history podcast. And then you've got your email, Screaming Through the Ages at yahoo.com. You can find the show wherever you get your podcast and appreciate it if you would leave a review, if you like the show, if you don't like it. And that goes for Greg's show as well, just to help you know share it with your friends. Give Monsters in the Mosh Pit a try and go check it out at least for an episode and spread the word if you like it, because that's how really it gets out to other people. Yeah, you'll be there for about 30 seconds. It's, it's fine. <laughs> you never know. You never know, Greg. All kinds of people out there. It's a very diverse community, you know. <laughs> we just talked about how diverse, like how we want everybody to be happy and like welcoming and stuff. And then I'm like, yeah, don't listen up. <laughs> oh, but but all that being said, uh, keep your eye on your favorite podcast feed for your next bi-weekly horror movie history lesson. <laughs>